Perfect. All right, so tonight we are class number seven, the blessings of salvation. Now, so far in this series, we, we talk about the goodness of God, the sinfulness of man, followed by the person of Christ and his incarnation, the atoning work of Christ on the cross, salvation by grace through faith, and last week, Alex talked about uh, repentance in faith. Now, the things that we, we will talk about tonight are related to the work of redemption, which is, which is a concept that relates to the idea of slaves being a ransom by a payment of a price. Right? And this concept is taught in the Old Testament and carried into the New Testament. In the Old Testament, repeatedly we see God being called a redeemer who redeemed his people from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And we see this theme over and over, God being called the redeemer. Now in the New Testament, we see Jesus being called this redeemer, right? This Messiah, the anointed one. And in the New Testament, what we see is that Christ ransomed his people from the bondage of sin by the payment, uh, by making the payment with his own blood. And we talked about this um, in our previous classes, and you heard about these things. And many of the things that we are going to talk about tonight is like we are tying back on things that we said in the past and repeating some stuff. We're just going to. Um, um, Add a little bit more, right? Um, so, in a nutshell, and you have this in your handout, in your introduction, redemption is the work of Christ in which He made expiation, expiation for our sins and delivered us from the curse of the law by giving His life as a ransom for His people, thus reconciling sinners to God. Just like um, uh, uh, try to summarize the work of redemption, so um, so that we can have something to start on. And now you have in your handout uh, Titus chapter three, verse four to seven. It's a wonderful passage that encapsulates what we are uh, going to talk about tonight. Titus chapter three, verse four to seven says. But when the goodness of when but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But notice that in this passage, everything starts but when God. So we come back to this first class when uh, Damon talked about the goodness of God and how all things started in Him. And this uh, verse number three makes it very clear, clear. But when God in His goodness... Showing us kindness. And in verse 5, 
makes it even clear he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, and some translations will say, by the washing away of our sins, and he renewed us through his Holy Spirit. You see, the, this is one of the concepts that we talked about before, this regeneration, this work of God in our hearts, in, in giving us a new identity, a new birth. He regenerated us. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit. And then through this Holy Spirit working as we respond with faith. And because God is the one who is doing this wonderful work in us, he also calls us heirs with Christ, which is the concept of adoption that we are going to talk about tonight. So he regenerated, he saved us, he gave us his Holy Spirit, and gave us an eternal inheritance. So the first concept that we are going to talk about tonight, which we talked about in length in, in previous class, I think each one of us kind of touched on this subject of justification, because it's the heart of the gospel. This, um, and, and the question is, what is justification? What is justification? In, 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 in a summarized way, it is a legal declaration issued by God in which our sins are forgiven. And that we have a clean slate before God. Justification is a legal declaration that we, our sins have been forgiven. And now we can stand before God guiltless. And our justification has two aspects. First, we are declared not guilty, sins forgiven. And second, Christ's righteousness is imputed on our behalf, which I talk about this in the class number five, Salvation by Grace. Now, um, Now, it's interesting that the opposite of justification is condemnation. Just to help us to understand how this justification we are called and declare righteous before God or guiltless, the opposite of justification is condemnation. Therefore, to declare someone justified is to declare someone not guilty. You see, the, when we make this, com, this uh, um, when you compare these two things, it helps us to understand, I, I believe... Uh, justification, what it, what it is. Justification comes, comes to us entirely by God's grace, not on account of any merit in ourselves. We saw this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, verse, verse 5. And, um, and in justification, God counts us as having the righteousness of Jesus as belonging to us. It is as if, if God credits Jesus' perfect score in our account and count it as our perfect score. Again, I'm just repeating things that we said in, before so that we understand where we are going with this with the next few uh, themes on this um, session tonight. 
It's very interesting that when we think about the scriptures, and we often say this, the scriptures bear witness that God is just and compassionate. We actually just read in Titus chapter 3, He's good and kind. But what we also see in the scriptures, and we see this in First, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, that we see that the word of God is this uh, word that came out from his mouth. And he inspired the biblical authors to write his word. And we call God's breath out word, right? He, he breathed and the writers, um, the New Testament writers penned his words. So, so when the Bible affirms, like we have seen like in this past few weeks, when the Bible affirms that we are righteous through faith in Christ, taking consideration that the Scriptures are God's Word, we can rest assured that this is the case. When we say, when we just, we just read that He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, we can fully trust in His Word. We can fully uh, believe in this, that this is the case. Otherwise, the Scriptures would not be trustworthy. The Scriptures would not be trustworthy. If there's anything else for us to do when the Bible says that there is not, then the Bible would not, we, we would not be able to trust in the testimony of the Scriptures, and God would be found untruthful. So, I just want to call your attention to this, so that we, when we read the Scriptures in, in, in passages like Titus chapter 3, Galatians, and Romans chapter 3, and, and, and Galatians chapter 5, when we read these words, we, we must believe that this is God's counsel, and this is God's word. Everything has been done to us. Salvation is this wonderful gift. And just a reminder that, a reminder that the gospel, when we are talking about here, unpacking the gospel, the gospel is a message from God, how people get saved. Is there any way for people to get saved? Yes, through the gospel. That's what we are doing. We're trying to unpack this message. That comes from God to following human beings. And it is through this message, as we believe in the testimony of God in His Son, that we are um, regenerated and justified by God's own act. And I said this... Um, I mentioned this illustration, and I will just repeat because I think it just helps us to situate, situate what we are talking about of someone having this large debt in his account and working tirelessly in two jobs over 70 hours a week trying to pay this debt. And as much as he worked very hard, he realized that he cannot pay his debt and the money that he's making is enough for him to survive. And when he looks in his bank account, in fact, his debt just continues to increase. And he's working so hard, and he doesn't see any results. So in a nutshell, when we think about our own righteousness, it's very similar to this man working tirelessly. He's sweating, he's putting all his effort, and instead of this account, which is our sins, uh, diminishing, he sees that increasing and he sees this and when the, and here's what is interesting when the Holy Spirit is working in us 
And when he started working in us, we started seeing this account and this, our sins growing and adding. And we started being convicted of that. And then when we realize that we are hopeless and helpless. So we don't only see our, this, we are adding to our sins and we cannot do anything to help us. But we see that we are hopeless. Regardless how hard we work. And that's when the Holy Spirit started working us and convicted us of sin. And convicted us of um, that we need someone to pay our debt to rescue us. And that's where, that's what the gospel do to us. But first, He must bring us down. <laughs> must He first convict us that we have a large debt. And regardless how good you think you are and how hard you have been working your entire life, you cannot pay. Your good works cannot add anything to save you. And the gospel reminds us that God is a justifier to those who believed in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then in your handouts, you have some um, passage that you can uh, read later. We have some passage where we are declared righteous before God. A few passages. Passages where God imputes or imparts His righteousness to us. So we can um, look into this passage and, 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 and continue to grow in our understanding of justification. And I'll be very honest, as I was preparing for, for this class tonight, and um, I'm sure that in each of these topics, you could have like seven weeks in just in each of this. So I know that what I'm saying here is in a very uh, boiled down, simplified way. So I don't uh, claim that I'm giving to you everything that has to learn in these uh, topics. But I do believe that these topics is a, in errors in our lives that we are continuing to grow in our theology. And in our understanding and in how we can apply this concept. So what it means in our life, uh, in our lives, this, how, they, 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 how these topics are unfolding in our Christian life. So just a few passages that you can continue to read um, and continue to learn. Now the second topic that relates to this work of redemption is adoption, membership, in God's family. And according to the dictionary, adoption means to, to the act of legally taking a child to be taken care of your own. That's what the dictionary says. And uh, a, few years, a few years ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. He adopted a uh, special needs child. child um, and he was just explaining how this whole process, first of all, it's very expensive. We are talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. It's a very expensive process. I don't understand why it's so expensive in the U.S., but it is. And then he explained to me that when he adopted this child, and um, before the law, this child has all the rights and privileges of any of his biological children. So before the law, he adopted this child. Now it's part of his family, right? Regardless of the siblings' feelings about the, this, this adopted children, uh, child, it belongs to the family. It's part of it from before the law. 
So in the scriptures, the, the word adoption appears only five times in the New Testament, and they were used by Paul. And in the New Testament, it does not occur in a legal technical term, as I just mentioned to you. However, the concept is very similar. The concept is very similar. In adoption, believers are accepted into God's family after being justified. And they are called now children of God. And we see Paul talking about this idea of the Jews and Gentiles being brought into the same family. This, this idea of adoption. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile or Greek or Hellenist or, or humanist or whatever. Once you are adopted, you are part of God's family. And as children of God, we are brought into fellowship with Him and with others who, like us, have been adopted as well. And you have your handout, John chapter 1, verse 12, that reminds us that all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And adoption speaks about our new identity. Adoption reminds us that we are no longer aliens or strangers, but sons and daughters of God. Regardless when you believed, how mature you are, where you are in the walk of the Lord, regardless what you do in church. Once you were adopted, there's no difference. Your, my status, my adoption is the same of anyone else. Adoption also reminds us of God's good grace and compassion for us while speaking of a true and unchangeable reality. We are part of God's family. We are members of the same family. So we call each other brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, from, from different ethnicity, all being adopted. And I think Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6 just highlights what we are talking about here. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent this Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The same thing the Titus is... Um, where Paul um, explained to Titus in chapter 3, we become heirs according to God's grace. Being adopted into God's family, we can now relate it to Him as a loving Father. And I know that for some of us, this might be a hard concept. For some of us who had, who had never had a father in this earth, or who had a, 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 a cruel father or abusive father or who have been abused physically, mentally, psychologically by our own fathers. It's very hard to understand this concept of having a relationship with God as a father. So, but I want you to remind, her, remind you that that's exact, exactly who He is for us. And He is much better than a, a earthly father. He cannot even compare His goodness and kindness. 
Remember in Matthew chapter 6, uh, chapter, 6 ver- chapter 6, verse 9, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, the first thing that Jesus taught them was how they should relate to God as a Heavenly Father. The first thing He said, Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. So this is like just reminds us that's how we approach God, not as this uh, old king sitting on a throne ready to judge, but as a loving father. We, we can approach at any time because we have been adopted. Now we have free access. This is our privilege. This is our privilege. And even though adoption is given to us at a time we become Christians, adoption is not the same as justification or regeneration. Regeneration has to do with spiritual life within. While justification has to do with our legal status before God. But neither gives us privileges. Adoption gives us privileges. Adoption, as we are called sons, we are brought into God's Presence. And when we, you read systematic theology books, they make sure to put all these things in a very separate uh, boxes and they, to explain to us what it means under this umbrella of work of redemption, this work of Christ on coming to earth, incarnation, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, resurrecting and ascending to heaven. So everything we are talking about is under this big umbrella of redemption. Also, through adoption, we are given inheritance, like I said, a privilege. In the age to come, we have the privilege today to relate to God as a loving Father. But in the age to come, to sit on Jesus' throne and reign with Him. Adoption makes us heirs of God's kingdom. So there are some few passages that you can um, read in regards of adoption. Now the third thing that we want to talk about tonight is sanctification. Spirit and power growth in Christ-likeness. One of the books that has helped me in my walk with the Lord right in the beginning of my um, and is, uh, awakening, as the Spirit was just awakening me for my own sins and, 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 and my need to grow in, in sanctification, was a book by J.C. Ryle, an Anglican pastor in the 18th century, called Sanctification. Uh, it was, that book impacted my life in, in ways that I cannot even explain. So it's a very good book on this topic of sanctification. And he makes, in order to talk about sanctification, he starts with uh, uh, the incarnation of Jesus. He talks about justification, the sinfulness of man. Then he talks about sanctification in a more deeper way. And it's a very good book that I would recommend to anyone who wants to grow in sanctification. Now again, in a, in a nutshell, a, a basic definition of sanctification Uh, It can be defined as the gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which He delivers the justified sinner from the pollution of sin, 
renews his whole nature in the image of God and enables him to perform good works. And you have that definition in your handout. The, the first thing we see in this definition is that sanctification is the work of grace through the activity of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. In sanctification, God enables His people through His Spirit to be more like His Son by freeing us more and more from sin and the desires of the flesh. Second, this definition tells us that sanctification is a continuous, progressive work. (laughs) I know that the word progressive in our days has a very bad connotation. But this is exactly what it is. It's a progressive, continuous work. It starts a regeneration and extends through the believer's life. Thirdly, because there is still sin in our hearts... Even though we have become Christians, this lengthy process never reaches perfection in this life. But once we die and go to be with the Lord, sanctification will be completed or perfected. While regeneration, conversion, justification, and adoption are the working of God in our hearts, apart from any help from us, any contribution, From us, in sanctification, we are expected to cooperate. Sanctification is is a synergetic work between the Spirit and believers. In sanctification, the Spirit empowers the believer to to kill sin. However, this killing of sin is not once in a lifetime, but a continuous work throughout our lives. The scripture depicts this as a struggle of the inner man who desires to live a holy life, obey God and be more like Jesus, while the flesh is an enemy that combats this new orientation of the inner being. And we see that, as Paul explained in Galatians chapter 5, this, this battle between the new inner being that was regenerated, this desire to obey God and to follow God and the, the, the weakness of the flesh and the desires of the flesh battling against the spirit. Even Paul talks about this in length in Romans. What I, did, what I want to do, I don't do it. And what I don't want to do, that's what I do. Say, so what wretched man I am. Just, just to, to illustrate this battle with the, the new the spirit and, and this new orientation of the inner being with the desires of the flesh. Now, this is not a, something obscure for us. We, if you look into your own life and think about your life in the past and a few years back, or even if you became a believer a month ago or a few weeks ago, you can see this work in your life. You can see that this battle going on in you, this desire to learn more about God, to approach God, to obey God. But at the same time, you see this wickedness of you just growing. And, and it seems that you, can, you see sin becoming bigger and you desire more God. And then this struggle continues. And as we start growing more and more in our faith, we, be, we, we, we start applying this concept, understanding that I've been justified. My sins have been paid. Yes, this struggle is real. 
but I'm not in this struggle alone. I'm not in this struggle to fight on my own power. It's not my discipline. It's not my, my effort that will make me more holy. But the grace of God as He works through me. And I make the effort to walk away from sin. So we see this struggle and this cooperation, right? Of the Holy Spirit in enabling us. And as we walk away from sin. And as we... And this, in, in the, 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 the fruit of this, um, or the byproduct as we grow in our sanctification, is the fruits of the Spirit, as we see in Galatians chapter 5. Which will appear in every truly regenerated believer over time. And over time it becomes more evident. Not for the things that you say. But how you, your the new orientation of your life. How you... How in your relationships with your loved ones specifically, in, in the context of home, this is the first place where this fruits of the Spirit becomes evident. And in fact, that's the, the very means that the God uses to sanctify us. <laughs> if you have been married for more than a month, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and this is not a bad thing. This is necessary. And believe me, the wife that you have and the husband that you have, they're given to you by God and they're a gift of God in your life. They are there and they're used by God to sanctify you. You know that boss that it's really hard on you? Yes. You know that neighbor, annoying neighbor? Yes. Your children, co-workers, siblings. Sanctification, it's painful, but necessary. In regard to sanctification, the role we play is both a passive and an active one. Passive because we depend on the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. And active in which we strive to obey God and take steps to increase in our sanctification. In Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle encourages us to make every effort to grow, which implies that this growth in Christ's likeness will not come easily or naturally. That's why we need these this struggles, these things that presses us. Because unless we are pressed, we are not going to grow. And because we have been regenerated by the power of God, we must grow, and He helps us to grow. He not only gives us His Spirit, but situations in life. But then we respond in being active in pursuing growth. But also there are two things that we need to be aware about sanctification. First, we need to learn to depend more on the Holy Spirit. So that we do not grow proud or overly confident in ourselves. Second... The Scriptures warns us not to become passive, lazy Christians, but to strive to walk in holiness, or as Paul says, in step with the Spirit. Like our brother Abraham preached this Sunday, to obey God and His commands. You see this, this tension in being 
passive as we depend on the Holy Spirit and we learn to be humble and understand that He is the one that enables us, but at the same time we are active in pursuing steps that we will grow in our sanctification, walk away from sin. And the fourth thing that we are going to talk about tonight is glorification. The fourth and the last one. Glorification, a glorious future. Look at what Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 17 says. The Spirit Himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Be glorified with Him. When Christ redeemed us, He did not just redeem our souls. He redeemed us as a whole person, including our bodies. Glorification relates to our resurrection in the sense that it, 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 that it is what comes after it. It is the final benefit or the crown of our redemption, glorification, as we are resurrected and we are glorified with Christ or when we will be resurrected in the final day, in the last day. And this glorification is the last link in the gold, golden chain of salvation, which started with our calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, and in the end, when we will be glorified with Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. I mentioned this two sessions, two sessions ago, before this. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And it will be completed when believers received a resurrected body, a glorified one. This glorification is the crown of our redemption. The glorification of believers is grounded in the glorification of Jesus after He accomplished the work of salvation. And this glorification refers to a time in the future when believers will be glorified with Jesus in the likeness of His resurrection. It will happen when Christ returns. And I like what the Westminster Catechism tells us of what to believe concerning our resurrection. This is question number 87. And this is what, what the Catechism says. We are to believe that the last day there shall be a general resurrection of the dead both of the just and unjust. The bodies of the just, by the Spirit of Christ, and by virtue of His resurrection, resurrection as their head, shall be raised in power, spiritual, incorruptible, and made like to His glorious body. He's saying, like, what we are to believe about the resurrection is that when Christ returns, and 
All saints will be resurrected. We will have a body like Jesus had a glorified body when he ascended to heaven. And will be made like him. And not only that, but we will share in his glory. What, what that... What it, what it means to share in Christ's glory. What it means to reign with Christ and sit on His throne and, and rule. The, those are things that we, as the church fathers, they, they reason with these things and try to think about these things. It's, but it's just a matter of ex- speculation. Because this, the Scriptures don't give does not give us details about what it means to, to reign with Christ and be glorified with Him, except that we will be glorified with Him and we will receive a new glorified body like His body. And the Bible calls Jesus the, the first one of the dead, the new Adam. Even though the And because of the Holy Spirit is already living in us and bringing His people into conformity to the image of Christ, in one sense, we, are, we are already have been given a foretaste of this glorification in this life, which will come into full bloom in the age to come. Because the Spirit is already living in us and, and transforming and renewing us and, and helping us to grow in Christ's likeness, we have been given a foretaste of this glorification. Now, even though the Scriptures talk about glorification being the last link in the chain of salvation, there is much we do not know about it. For example... What will be like in our glorified bodies? Or in what bodies will we be resurrected? Will we be the same body at the moment of our death? Or a much younger version of us? Right? What would it be? Again, it's interesting to see how the church fathers made so much speculations about it in the first three, four centuries of the church. But the, the Bible does not give us, does not tell us exactly what's going to happen. This is going to be a beautiful, uh, handsome version of Mark. Maybe not. Maybe, uh, we don't know. What we know is going to be a glorious and glorified body. You know, those things are, are a mystery. We, we just don't know. We know that we will receive a body like Jesus had a glorified body. And again, look what um, the Scripture says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. This is our confidence, and this, and this is what we hope for. That we will be like Him in this glorified body. We know for sure that this part of the, the part of this glorification means that we'll be free from sin and live in glory for all eternity. 
And what we also know is that God will dwell forever with His people in heaven. And when you think about this privilege of our adoption, are things that will not only encourage us to move on, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to ask for the Lord to give us a heart like David, to repent for our sins, to be quick to repent for our sins, but even to meditate what it means to have a Heavenly Father. And like I said, I know that for some of us, this might be a hard thing to understand. But the reality is that He is a good Father who not only justified, but also um, adopted us. And in Christ, we are already glorified. And His Spirit is already working in us, giving, this, giving us this foretaste of the future glorification here on earth. Now, those are the all, these are the things that I have to share with you tonight. Uh, again, you have some questions for personal application. Uh, I encourage you to take it home, read, meditate, and bring it next. Bring these questions next uh, Wednesday so that we can talk about these things. And I would love to hear what you guys have to say. Believe, I, I'm, I'm very honest when I say this. It's very encouraging to hear other people's perspectives. All right.